Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. America's Voice of Reason. Boyd Matheson on Utah's home for elevated conversation. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. We're really thrilled to have joining us on the program today Fred Bauer. Uh, he is a writer from New England. He's written for National Review, American Conservative, a host of others, and uh, has a fantastic piece in the City Journal. Uh, talking about the Democratic Party becoming a U-shaped party, and we're going to dig into that just a, a little bit. And uh, Fred joins us on the line. Fred, thanks for jumping on. Hey, thank you for having me. Your, your piece in the City Journal just uh, really caught my attention in terms of, of what's going on in the Democratic Party. And uh, so often we, we look at it, you know, we look at the extremes of the left and the extremes of the right, and uh, we often get lost in uh, kind of those loud, noisy pieces. But there's a lot of subtleties that have been happening over the years, and you capture it really powerfully. And so uh, for our listeners, first, just kind of lay the groundwork in terms of where the Democratic Party has been and some of these changes that you noted in terms of where they are today. Yeah, so um, in this piece, I was drawing particularly from a recent study that came out in the Academic Journal Perspectives in Politics that's looking at the shift in the Democratic coalition, because conventionally in the 20th century, the Democratic Party was often thought of as the party of the working man and woman. Um, It had less support among the wealthy and more among many um, parts of the working class. Over the past 20 years, um, that's changed, Um, and this is something that long predates 2015 uh, and the rise of contemporary populism. You see the Democratic Party starting really in the 90s, starting to do better and better among the upper 20, 30 percent of households, households that traditionally have been very Republican, suddenly by 2020 are trending Democratic by a pretty significant margin. And so, as so as you look at those numbers, uh, you note that uh, obviously President Bill Clinton had a, a lot to do with uh, that tilt and that shift a little bit in terms of uh, who was being attracted and, and getting some different uh, beyond just the the working men and women and watching out for the little guy, which has been along the mantra of the Democratic Party. Uh, and so, walk us through in terms of some of those shifts uh, that you noted in terms of this U-shaped party that is now emerged uh, for the Democrats. Yeah, well, I mean, increasingly, if you look at polling and sort of data analysis, we increasingly see the Democratic coalition as is um, the political science uh, graduate student at Yale, Sam Zacharis, described it as a U-shaped coalition. We have a cluster of support among poor um, households, um, people lower incomes, probably people in the sort of under 20 percent of households and under 20 percent of incomes, and then sort of dipping in support, bottoming out. Uh, in support around people in the you know, 40 to 70 percent of incomes, and then starting to spike again in the upper um, 20 percent of incomes. And there are a lot of possible reasons for that. I mean, it's with politics, it's really monocausal. There are usually multiple probably competing factors um, and amplifying factors. I think some of those factors for this are, as you mentioned, uh, Bill, Clinton, Bill Clinton, who in the 1990s is part of the sort of new democratic coalition, help push the party away from some of its traditional commitments on um, on trade um, and also on welfare and 
made some economic nudges that probably made it more attractive to upper-income uh, Americans. Globalization and vigorous or structural changes of the American economy are also probably part of the story, mm. that suddenly by the um, early 2000s, you start to see increasing clusters of economic activity in a few key urban hubs and people being attracted to that. You see the rise of tech um, with a sort of a different cultural uh, emphasis than, say, the traditional sort of, you know, lunch pail, heavy industry in the 20th century. And so you start to see um, some bigger demographic shifts in how in the American economy. And I think that seems so far to have um, shifted both the Democratic and the Republican coalitions. Yeah, and those coalitions are so fascinating. And uh, the thing that I love you get to is uh, the policy, which is what we always want to get to on this show, is what does this really mean in terms of principles and policy? Uh, and, and you point out that this you know shift towards this U-shape where you have uh, kind of the affluent and the well-educated on one side, and then you still have some of those at the lower income bracket um, within the party – then suddenly there is a a real high wire act that has to be done in terms of that trajectory, in terms of how do you keep both of those groups together and part of a coalition? I think especially if you're looking at times of political or coalitional adjustments, as we're seeing both on the Republican and Democratic side, um, this is a big issue. This is a big issue the Democrats are trying to deal with right now, because if you're trying to appeal, especially the lower income voters, um, often sort of redistributive um, efforts, try to you know, build up parts of the social safety net and the welfare state will often be a key sort of democratic strategy in doing that. Uh, but at the same time, you're increasingly dependent upon the affluent who don't necessarily want to have taxes raised on them to pay for these, these things. And so we're seeing how increasingly, say even from Obama um, to now President Biden, we're seeing how increasingly Democrats are trying to say wall off parts of the tax code from increases on upper-income voters. Uh, President Obama, when he was running in 2008, pledged not to raise incomes on families making less than $250,000. Well, when Joe Biden ran for election uh, election, um, 2020, he instead said, well, I won't raise incomes on families making less than $400,000 a year. Um, Basically saying, okay, I won't raise taxes on 98% of American households. Um, because increasingly that upper portion of the American of the uh, of taxpayers um, increasingly vote Democratic, and there's going to be sort of political problems if we raise taxes on them too much. Yeah, you noted that in terms of uh, things like the the White House wanting you know the 20% minimum tax on the billionaires, and uh, it was actually the congressional Democrats that blocked that. Um, but then yes. walk, walk us through um, a little bit of these other policy components that uh, do tend to favor. Uh, the upper uh, middle class or the upper class in terms of the debt forgiveness for student loans and uh, tax credits for uh, electric cars. What are some of those other policy things that are starting to uh, kind of work their way out of this coalition? I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. 
In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Yeah, well, let's look at uh, tax credits for electric vehicles. And the Inflation Reduction Act is such an interesting bill because it really shows, uh, I would argue, different factions within the Democratic Party struggling for what the party will try to accomplish as policy. Uh, because right now, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act gives you a $7,500 tax credit on electric vehicles. And the tax credit maxed out, maxing, you can only get that if you make under you know, a few hundred thousand dollars. Um, but still, that's you know, a relatively high income. And obviously, electric vehicles are more expensive. And so, you know, if you are an upper income earner who wants to buy a very expensive, say, BMW electric vehicle, you can get a $7,500 tax credit from the federal government to do that. But if you are a lower income earner, say your retail store clerk or your waitress or something, trying to buy a used gas powered vehicle, you don't get that kind of benefit. And we, a very interesting kind of tug of war we're seeing right now with the Inflation Reduction Act, and it's not yet resolved, is we see parts of the Biden administration, like recently um, Secretary of Treasury um, Jenny Yellen, trying to argue that more imports from abroad should qualify for this tax credit. Because originally this, this tax credit was only for vehicles that came from a relatively small set of um, countries uh, or from the United States. Um, but Secretary Yellen and other parts of the Biden administration trying to say, okay, maybe we can have more um, countries qualify as getting this tax credit, which means that increasingly the Inflation Reduction Act, which sold, which was sold in part as a way of producing manufacturing here, might end up actually just acting as a subsidy for upper-income earners to buy vehicles from abroad. Yeah, I think we don't know exactly how that's going to work out. But that might be one possible. This is one area where we see different parts of the Democrat coalition sort of struggling with each other. You know, is the party going to be about industrial policy, uh, which would have been a conventional Democratic position from, say, the 1950s, or is it instead going to be about um, subsidies for electric vehicles? Yeah. Um, so we see this interesting tug of war there. It is. That tug of war is just fascinating. Uh, just real quickly before I let you go, Fred. Uh, it, it's so interesting, uh, the elements of the two parties now, that the, the populist components that are sort of overlapping, the upper echelon that's sort of overlapping. It's, it's sort of a case of, uh, you know, here's the new boss, same as the old boss. Um, but, we, but we know that can't really hold. And so give us one thing that you're watching, uh, especially as it relates to the Democratic Party in this U-shape. Uh, what, what are you watching, especially with a divided Congress and rolling into a presidential election cycle? Yeah, well, I mean, there are a few things I'm watching. I mean, one is I'm still watching the negotiations over, um, you know, over the Inflation Reduction Act. I'm also keeping an eye on tech policy mm. because I think that's an area where we also see different parts of both the Democratic and the Republican coalitions potentially at odds. We see some more populist figures on both sides arguing we need to sort of pare, take down some of these tech companies, we need to sort of re-regulate them, and we see others pushing very strongly back against that. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see how that works out in the in the years ahead. Yeah. Uh, great stuff. Great insight. Fred Bowers, uh, 
writer from New England, great piece uh, in the City Journal. And uh, you can check out uh, all of Fred's writing uh, on Twitter. You can follow him at, at Fred Bauer blog and a uh, great place to uh, keep track of uh, great thinking and great writing. Uh, Fred, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Really interesting uh, look there at the Democratic Party in terms of where the tensions are. So it's really become this party that has turned into this U-shape where a good chunk of it is the upper middle class or upper class, highly educated, high income earners, and then the lower end of the economic scale. Uh, Many of those who are dependent very much on Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and these government programs. Uh, And so it's a very interesting tension that's beginning to pull. And I think the challenge for the Democrats is going to be, can you continue to walk that fine line. I think you've seen President Biden attempting to do that in his State of the Union, uh, talking about things like these subsidies for electric cars that benefits the upper class, uh, this uh, tuition reimbursement that's definitely impacting a lot of high income earners. And then you have his pledge to make sure they're protecting Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Uh, So it's a very interesting tension. And will that be able to hold within the party? It's an interesting coalition. And how that plays out, I think, is going to be a big factor in terms of how the Democrats navigate 2024. The Republicans, on the other hand, will have their own intra-party challenges as well when it comes to who are they really serving. Both are trying to claim the populist mantle, and we're watching out for the little guy and the little gal. And I don't know that either one is doing that very well, but they love to spout it. But the real test for both parties will be what kind of policies do you put in place that actually impact the American people? All right, we'll go ahead and step aside for one last commercial break. We'll come back with some final thoughts on Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Stick around. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, You need to. Give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.